Sorry, I didn't think my mic was on for a second. <laughs> well, good morning, everybody. Like he said, my name is Adam. Um, I had this long greeting I was going to introduce myself, but he pretty much just did it for me. So. But now I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I'm 20 years old. Um, I study at Charleston Southern University, which, of course, that's just a little ways up the road. Um, but I'm a junior there. Um, but yeah, so I, I actually live in Monk's Corner, so I, I, um, I commute, which it it sounds bad, but it's really, it's about a 20-minute drive each morning, and so it's really not as bad as it seems. Um, but yeah, so I still live with my parents, which is cool because I can eat all their food. You know, I don't have to, like, go buy my own groceries or anything like that. But um, well, speaking of living at home, I, I actually grew up living at home. That's not what I was going to say. I grew up living with my parents, of course, um, but we lived, or we grew up, me and my brother, I've got a little sister too, we lived in a Christian home, you know, which in the South, that doesn't really mean much, you know, in the Bible Belt. But um, what I mean by that is my parents loved Jesus and they discipled us. You know, most of discipleship happens within the home. And so um, they, you know, we, we grew up reading the Bible together and, and praying together every night. And so, and I'm thankful for that. Um, but what also went along with that is that we went to church. You know, we went to church every Sunday. We went to church every Wednesday night. And we went to church every Sunday night because Andrew and I were on the children's choir. And so we would have choir practice on Sunday nights. And then when we were old enough, we went to youth group on Wednesday nights. And so we were some church-going people, right? Um, but we went to church. And on top of all that, so it's this very Christian environment, right? But on top of all that, I also lived what a lot of people might consider a sheltered childhood, right? Like I was homeschooled by my mom, who was a Christian. And so... All of our uh, curriculum that we got for homeschooling was Christian curriculum. It was an organization called Lachia. Um, and so, like, I was saturated with this Christian environment. And I'm thankful for all this, by the way. I'm not complaining. I, it, I, I had a great childhood, but it was very sheltered. Now, the downside to all of that was that I didn't really get exposed to the secular, you know, public education and culture until high school, right? Because up until that point, I was homeschooled, I was going to church, so literally all of my friends were people from church, right? When we hung out, we watched Veggie Tales, we ate crackers together, and we talked about Jesus. Like, that, that's just what we did. You know, I didn't know anything else, because we all believed the same thing, so we didn't talk about what we believed. We just, you know, accepted it growing up. And so, but once I got to high school, all of that changed, right? Because I met new people, most of which weren't Christians, you know, believe it or not. And so, it was, really, it was really weird for me because I started to get these questions about what I believed. Before then, growing up, I hadn't been questioned about my beliefs because we were on the same page. But then when I went to Berkeley High, by the way, that's where I graduated from, 2016, go Stags. But yeah, at Berkeley, and so it, most of my friends that I started to meet weren't Christian. They weren't anti-Christian, but they would start to question my beliefs, you know, and even raise objections toward my beliefs that I hadn't been really thinking about, right? Because all my friends were Christians up until that point. And so they would ask me these things like, what about this? You know, why do you believe this? You know, how do you explain this? And I was kind of like, I felt like I was being attacked almost. You know, I wasn't, but I was like, I don't have answers to these questions, right? And so I was like in this position of, man, what kind of Christian am I? Like I was ashamed that I didn't have answers to these seemingly simple questions. Oh, I forgot to dismiss the pirate ship kids. If you're one of our pirate ship kids, you are dismissed. And I even wrote that in big letters at the top of my notes. Like I was supposed to remember that. But. Well, you guys just got a little sneak peek of my sermon. Sorry you can't stay. 
So, yeah, I grew up in this Christian environment, but then I was faced with a culture that was not as welcoming to me as I had expected, you know, once I got into high school. And I was like, man, why? I started to question myself being faced with these questions that were, you know, in opposition to Christianity. And I started to have my own kind of doubts, you know, like the questions that these people were asking me were starting to be the questions that I was asking myself, like, man, do I even really know what I believe? You know, do I even know why I believe this? And so I, I literally went through this period of probably about a year where I was doubting what I believed. Like I never, I never felt like, man, I, I don't even know if I'm a Christian anymore, but I was like, man, do I, really, do I really know what it is that I believe and why it is that I believe this? And as it turns out, I'm not the only kid that was like me, right? There's actually a lot of young people and adults alike that go through these same seasons of doubt, you know, of questioning, like, what do I believe? Why do I believe this? And I actually want to share something with you that quite honestly breaks my heart whenever I think about it, um, and it just blows my mind. But of the students, young people like me, right, who grew up going to church every Sunday, of all the students who grew up going to church in America, 75% of them end up walking away from the church after high school. 75%. That's three out of every four students who grow up in church abandon the church completely and possibly their faith along with that after high school. And the question is like, why? Like, why are so many young people walking away from the church? This is a rate higher than it's ever been before. And it's not just young people, right? It's adults too. Adults are walking away from the church at alarming rates. And the reason is because our culture... We're going to talk about this, but our culture, we live in a culture that is not as welcoming to Christianity and to what we believe as it used to be. I mean, let's just be honest. And I, I want to share with you something even more shocking. There, there are churches in our country right now who are teaching things that are, not, that are not consistent with Scripture. Like there are churches in America that are teaching things that contradict the Bible. And young people and adults and new believers are being indoctrinated by potentially false teaching, right? And so it's so important that we know what we believe and that we know that it's true. And so that's, those are the two kind of questions I, wanna, I want us to wrestle with today, and not just today, but really for the rest of you know, our walk here on earth, is that do we know what we believe and do we really know why we believe it, you know? So many of us know what we believe, but we don't really know why we believe it. You know, maybe we, it was the faith of our parents. We grew up, like me, in Christian homes, and so that's just kind of what we accept, but we don't really know why we believe it. And for a lot of us, and a lot of people in our culture, and in Goose Creek especially, we don't really know what we believe. Um, so what we're going to say, if, if, by the way, if it's not your first time, then you probably know we've been in this series uh, called Acts, and we've been going through the book of Acts. We've been taking it kind of piece by piece, you know, passage by passage. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there to Acts. And while you're doing that, let's just kind of briefly recap where we've been so far uh, in this series. And that is that we've been going through Acts, and Acts, if you guys remember, essentially picks up right where the Gospel of Matthew leaves off. And that is that Jesus has just gone into heaven, right? But he left the apostles with a command, and that command was known as the Great Commission in Matthew 28, and he says, go into all nations and make disciples, you know, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus has left his disciples, his apostles, 
with this command to go out into the earth and essentially establish churches and make disciples and, and preach the gospel. And this is where Acts picks up is that this command is being carried out by the disciples. They're, they're going, they're establishing churches, they're preaching the gospel to people who've never heard it before. And um, if you guys remember a few weeks ago, we saw that Pentecost happens, which is where the Holy Spirit kind of descended on the apostles and they started speaking in different languages and preaching the gospel in all these different languages and people were just blown away by what was going on. They even accused them of being drunk because they just didn't understand it. And so all this crazy stuff is happening because of, all because of the Holy Spirit. You know, the, the, the title of the book, I don't know if we, we mentioned this a few weeks ago, it's kind of misleading because it says most of our Bibles have it marked as the Acts of the Apostles, but it's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit, right? And so that's kind of what's going on here is that the Holy Spirit is doing all these incredible things through the Apostles and people are getting saved, you know, and, and people are coming to know Jesus. We saw last week that there were 3,000 people at one time who decided to start following Jesus and then this is where we're going to pick up today, is in Acts chapter 2, uh, starting with verse 42. Um, so we're going to read that. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. It says, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple, together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And it says, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So, not only, so it doesn't just stop at the 3,000 like we talked about last week. It says, day by day, people are being saved. So this is just rapid growth of Christianity. So Jesus's command, his great commission is finally being carried out and the, and the churches are just being established all over the place and it's, it's growing and, and everything is great. But notice the first thing it says that they do, the church has just been established. What is the first thing that they do? Verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, right? These new believers, these are people who are just now hearing the gospel for the first time and the first thing that they do is they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. So let's, let's kind of look at the context of what's going on here in Acts. Um, like we just said, the church has just been established. And these people that they're preaching to have never heard the gospel before. Because most of who they're talking to are the Gentiles, right? And the Gentiles, they didn't have the Old Testament. The Jews had the Old Testament, and that's what they were living by. But Gentiles, they didn't have the Old Testament. And so... This is the first time they're hearing of this guy named Jesus. And there's 3,000 of them at one time, and then every day they're just preaching and more people are being saved. And so you understand that this is not very much, this is not very different to our, our context today, right? In fact, 70 some odd percent of Goose Creek is unreligious, right? They're, they're not religiously affiliated. So most of the people who we're preaching the gospel to have also never heard it before. In fact, we had the gospel conversations training yesterday, and it was great. And we got to go out to, um, to Wingate and just kind of have some conversations with people. And you guys realize that most of the people in Goose Creek in our community are just like these people in Acts. They haven't heard the gospel before, right? And so they, they need it just as badly as these people in the early church did. And so this is what's happening is that they're hearing the gospel for the first time. And on top of that, the importance 
of devoting themselves to the, to the truth that the apostles were teaching is because there, you also had all these false teachings that were seeping into the culture and into the church, right? So it wasn't just the apostles who were going out teaching things. You also had a bunch of other groups that were teaching things that were in opposition to the gospel. And so this is why it was so important for them to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Because you realize that the new Christians, they didn't have a Bible to go by. In fact, the New Testament was still being written at this point. So when they were hearing false teaching, they couldn't be like, no, wait, hold on a second. That doesn't sound right. Let me flip to the book of Romans and, you know, back up your claims. There was no book of Romans. It hadn't been written yet. When, when all this is happening in Acts, the New Testament is in the process of being written by the apostles, right? In fact, Paul wasn't even saved at this point. He was out persecuting Christians. Um, actually, here's an interesting little side note. Um, the entire New Testament, all 27 books, were written and completed within about 60 years of Jesus' life, ministry, and death, right? And here's why that's important. Generally speaking, the time between when a historical event happens and when it's documented, the shorter that time frame is, the more accurate the document is. Now, check this out. No other document known to man in history of this time comes even remotely close to that time frame of the the New Testament, 60 years. That's a little over a generation. Within 60 years, the entire New Testament is finished. So what that suggests is that not only is the New Testament accurate, it is remarkably accurate and reliable. Anyway, no extra charge for that. I thought you'd find that interesting. I love apologetics, if you guys can't tell. So the New Testament is still in the process of being written, and so these, these new believers who are hearing the gospel for the first time, they have a choice to make. Are we going to listen to the apostles who are telling us about this guy, Jesus, who apparently has died and risen from the dead for my sins, you know, which is crazy. That was outrageous at the time because every other religion says that we have to earn our way to Christ, earn our way to heaven. But they're, they're telling us about this guy, Jesus, and how he's offering us salvation. Or are we going to listen to all these other voices in the culture that are telling us things that seem to be directly opposed to Jesus, Right? And so just to kind of give you a taste of what some of these other voices were of this time, you had groups, there was one group called the Gnostics, right? And they were essentially teaching that, you know, it's all about knowledge. You know, if you want to be saved, if you want to find salvation, you just got to, you got to know enough to be saved. It's like an enlightenment of the mind kind of deal. You know, just, just do your studies, just, you know, read up. You'll, you'll be saved eventually. And then, of course, there were actually forged gospels centuries later um, if you've ever read like Dan Brown, like the Da Vinci Code, there's all these conspiracy theories about, you know, Gnosticism and all this kind of stuff. But all of it, that's fiction, by the way, you know, Dan Brown. But we'll read that and be like, oh my gosh, thanks, Dan Brown, for clearing that up for us. You know, we never would have known it. You know, but, and so it's, it's so easy for us to, you know, believe all these lies. And so there, there were forgeries. There were people who were like perverting the gospel and saying, no, this is how it should be done. And so that's what the Gnostics were doing. Then you had this group called the Judaizers. And essentially what they said is like, look, if, if you want to be saved, you have to be Jewish, right? But the good news is you can become Jewish. And right, that, was, and that completely contradicts what Paul says in Galatians, right, when he says there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. The gospel is for everybody. And so, but these people were, they were teaching things that were opposing the gospel on purpose to try to pervert it, right? And then you had this belief, you know, universalism, which is still around today. And it essentially says that, you know, all roads lead to heaven, kind of the Oprah Winfrey. We always attribute it to her, even though it's been around long before she uh, kind of, you know, adopted it. 
But, you know, all roads lead to heaven. Everybody's really saved. You don't really need Jesus, which, of course, that contradicts what Jesus himself said when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so all of these beliefs that were saturating the culture were contradicting what the apostles were teaching, right? And so that's why it was so important for these new believers to say, okay, we're going to devote ourselves to truth and not what the culture is trying to tell us and define as truth. And what you may be thinking is, now hold on, Adam, I thought you just said a second ago that there was no Bible yet. So how, what were the apostles teaching? And what were they teaching? Does anybody know? Where did the apostles get their teaching from? It's the Sunday school answer. They got it from Jesus, right? Because they lived with him. They, they, they learned all they knew from Jesus and from the Old Testament too, but that's where they got their teaching is from Jesus. And so what they were teaching was God's word. Just it hadn't been written down yet. And so this is why it's so important for us today, for them also, but for us, what we're devoting ourselves to when we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching is we're devoting ourselves to God's word. We're devoting ourselves to this, to the Bible, right? And so that is, that is what they were teaching. They were teaching the Bible. It's just they didn't have a physical Bible yet. And in fact, if you don't take anything else away from this message, I just want us to understand that, that it's so important to know what we believe, and that is that God's word is the truth of the church, right? So false teaching was saturating their culture, and, and false teaching is saturating our culture too. Like we, it's easy for us to look at the world through this lens of, man, everything is so much worse. I wish we could go back to the days of the early church. You know, they had it great. Everybody was on fire for Jesus. And I'm not denying that the world is worse now than it was. Like it seems like every day there's more hatred if you just turn on the news. But if we really look at it from this perspective, we don't really have it that much different than what they did because there's just as much false teaching and, and false claims that are just flooding our culture today that they had back then. And so we have a choice to make too. Are we going to devote ourselves to God's word or are we going to let ourselves be swayed by the culture, right? And so there's, there's false teaching coming at us from every angle. But there's a, and it, it's, it's no wonder that so many young people are walking away from the church, right? 75% of students who walk away from the church, but there's a lot of resistance to this. It's like, we don't really want to believe that, you know, we're in the Bible Belt, we're okay, we're safe, you know, and then there's a lot of, you know, that, that'll, that won't happen to my kids, that won't happen to me, you know. My kids go to youth group every Wednesday night, they get emotional during reckless love, they're safe, right? And so it's like, you know, somewhere within the past 20 years, we've bought into this philosophy that we have to cater to the emotional faculties, that it's emotion alone. And so many students and so many young people and so many adults, all these believers, we've got the emotion and we're, and we're getting excited about Jesus, right? But emotion alone is not enough because emotion by itself is not truth. In fact, I heard um, Ryan told me he had heard uh, that someone said one time that emotion makes a great companion but a lousy leader. And so if we're basing what we believe off of emotion alone, that's not enough. It's not enough to walk out of church on a Sunday morning with warm fuzzies, you know? It's not enough to walk out of church with, a, with a, an emotional high and this rush of adrenaline and being on fire. You know, you can get those things from a Taylor Swift concert. And so emotion by itself is not truth. There has to be a foundation of fundamentals that's driving what we believe. But so many young people especially 
are being indoctrinated by this idea that, oh yeah, if you just have an emotional experience, then you're good. And they oftentimes don't even bring the Bible into it. It's, it's kind of like going to Hall's Chop House, which is the top-rated steakhouse in the world. I don't know if it's in the world. Probably in the state at least, though. <laughs> Hall's Chop House, if you've ever been there, you probably will believe it's the top-rated steakhouse in the world. It's just fantastic steak, and they're known for their steak, right? I've only been there a couple of times in my life, but every time I go, it's like, it seems to be better. Hall's Chop House is just amazing steak, and they have this amazing environment. They've usually got a live band playing. They've got, you know, everybody's dressed in tuxedos, and there's a, people, you know, waitresses and waiters coming around every, like, five seconds to fill up your water, and it's just, the environment is just so enticing, and the steak is even better. Like, if you go to Hall's Chop House, you're not going for a salad. You're going for a steak, but imagine going to Hall's Chop House and just absorbing this environment and, and listening to the music and, and smelling the smells and looking at the sights and seeing everybody enjoying themselves and, and hearing all the sounds and just taking it all in, but then not even eating the steak, not even being able to, to eat the steak and digest it. That's kind of where a lot of Christians are in our culture right now is they're absorbing the experience, you know, and, and they're absorbing the sights and sounds on a Sunday morning, but they're not really digesting the steak because it's like, where is the nutrients coming in, you know? All of those things are good. Emotion is great. Experience is great. Those things are not bad, but unless there's nutrients that are feeding those emotions, then are they really relevant, you know? And so at, at some point, we got to eat some steak, you know. But that's where our culture is, isn't it? We're in this idea, we're in this, this, this time of like, well, there really is no truth. In fact, you've probably heard these claims before, right? There is no truth. You can believe whatever you want. You know, there are no absolutes. Maybe you've heard this one. All truth is relative, right? Which is just a fancy way of saying, you know, it's based on your perspective. You know, just believe whatever you want, just as long as you tolerate my belief, you know, this is, this, these are the claims that our culture is being faced with right now. Or, or how about this one? You know, you have your truth and I'll have mine, right? You can have your truth, I can have mine. Let's just, let's just tolerate truth. You know, it's, it's all relative anyway. There's no absolutes. You've probably heard this one before. You know, all religions are fundamentally the same. They're just superficially different. You notice how all of these claims, they don't really make sense they're self-defeating. I mean, there is no truth. How can that be true? Because it, like, is that a true statement? Like, the claim is, it, it's claiming to be true, but it defeats itself. And then all religions are the same thing. I would push back on that and say that's, that's completely wrong. All religions are fundamentally different and at best superficially the same. In fact, Christianity seems to be the outlier, right? Christianity is the only worldview, David mentioned this last week, where we don't have to earn our salvation where the, our God is, is not some dictator. He's a loving God. And he gives us the choice to follow him. And we don't have to be good enough for God. All religions are not the same. But if all truth is relative, then why are we surprised that when young people are getting out into the world, and not just young people, but new believers, they're being indoctrinated by these claims. There is no truth. You can believe whatever you want. And so, of course, they're going to think, why should I believe this old book, right? 
Why should you believe this old book? It's full of errors, you know. You've heard these kind of claims, you know, that the Bible contradicts itself. You know, the Bible paints this image of, of a sexist, racist God, you know. And all of these claims, they're anti-Christianity. And these are the claims that young people are being faced with. And they're like, why should I believe this old book? You know, it's, it's outdated. It's not relevant anymore. There is no truth. Why should we believe that there's some God that's up there telling me how I should live? Well, in fact, let's, let's take a look at what this old book has to say about the issue of truth. Turn with me, if you will, to the Old Testament, to the book of Amos. Uh, Amos is one of the minor prophets, which that just means that it's, his book is not as long as like Daniel or Isaiah. But Amos is one of those books that we kind of overlook. Like you don't really see a, a devotion by Amos in your version right, a version app, and so it's like, we kind of forget that he even exists. It's kind of like Amos and Hosea, Zechariah, like who are those guys? And we just kind of skim over them in the Bible. But I think what we're going to find is there's a lot of truth and also relevance uh, from what Amos had to say. So look at Amos chapter 8, um, starting with verse 11. And he's speaking about Israel here, but I think we're going to find that it still applies so he says in verse 11, he says, Behold, the days are coming, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, but not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water. But he says, of hearing the words of the Lord. Verse 12, they shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord. But watch this, they shall not find it. He says it's not a famine, a literal famine of food. He says it's a famine of God's word. It's a famine of truth. And of course, this is talking about the fall of Israel, but I, this, there's something that's still so relevant about this passage because it sounds really familiar. It sounds kind of like where we're at today is that people are running to and fro. We're looking for truth, but a lot of us just don't know where to find it. Now hold on to that thought. Hold on to that picture and flip back over to the New Testament I'm making you guys go all over the place today. Go to the book of 2 Timothy. This is one of uh, the Apostle Paul's pastoral letters. Um, they call him that because in these books, he kind of lays out what church leadership looks like. And this was during one of his missionary journeys. And he's writing to, you guessed it, Timothy. Timothy was Paul's kind of uh, apprentice, sort of, his partner in crime. They would preach the gospel together. They would set up churches. And so he's writing to Timothy and he's laying out kind of what church leadership looks like. But in Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and let's see what he has to say in verse 3. So 2 Timothy 4, 3 says this. He says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now that should sound really familiar. Because this is exactly what's happening in our culture. It says people will accumulate for themselves teachers to fit their own interests, right? There is no truth. All truth is relative. I can have my own truth. We can believe whatever we want. Just as long as we don't have to go back to this old Bible, you know, just as long as we don't have to accept that there's some God, some supernatural being out there, right? And so this is where our culture is today. And this is what young people and new believers are being faced with is this question, are we going to believe, are we going to devote ourselves to absolute truth, 
to God's Word or are we going to be swayed by what the culture has to say? Because the culture seems to be saying a bunch of other things that quite honestly contradict themselves, right? There is no truth. All truth is relative. And so, but you notice that what's happening in these passages is that people are not opposed to truth. It says in Amos that they're starving for it. And it says in 2 Timothy they have itching ears for truth, but they're just looking in all the wrong places. So we want truth. We just want our truth. We want it to be our way. And we will continue to look in all the wrong places unless we know what the right place is to find truth. You know, we live in the age of information, right? We live in the age of technology and media. And I can guarantee you that just about every person in this room has one of these, you know, iPhone or Android, or if you're one of the six people on earth that have a Windows phone. We all... We have so much information right at the tips of our fingers, right? And I'm not anti-technology, by the way, but have you ever thought about how much information we're feeding ourselves? Because I did. I looked it up, and it turns out that we consume about 34 gigabytes of information on a daily basis. And if you're not tech-savvy, just know that's a lot of information. Like, that's a ton of information. So... Imagine what all kinds of things we're feeding ourselves and what all kinds of things our kids are feeding themselves right from the palms of their hands. Generation Z, that's anybody who was born between 1995 and 2015, they are more susceptible to this, right? Kids today, they're always on their phones. You ever notice that? I mean, it's almost subconscious. You'll just notice them pulling it out, you know. Gen Z, they have an average attention span of eight. You ready? seconds. Eight seconds. I see some Gen Z people in there. You guys probably tuned out 20 minutes ago. I'm just kidding. Eight seconds is the average attention span of Generation Z. They are 300 times more depicted by mental illness than any generation in history. Anxiety, depression, and loneliness have skyrocketed in our culture, and it's because we're being faced with so much information and claims on top of all this information that there is no truth. And so they're, they're being faced with these questions like, do I even really have a purpose? You know, if there's no truth, then who am I? You know, cyberbullying is, is, is so prevalent in our society. People, there's some mean stuff on the internet. You guys know that? I mean, there's some really scary stuff out there. And kids today are just being flooded with all this stuff and they don't know what to do with it because if there's no absolutes, if they're not being fed steak and solid truth, then... My maps just fell out of my Bible. <laughs> if they're not being fed solid truth, then they're going to be faced with so many questions like, do I really have a purpose? What does it mean to be human? Is there really a God out there that cares about me? You know, why am I even here? And so getting God's truth through the fog to a generation that is so saturated with information has never before been a, such a challenge to the church, but it should be one of our top concerns, shouldn't it? I mean, doesn't it concern us that so many young people are walking away from truth and being indoctrinated by a culture full of lies? Do we know what we believe? Are we devoting ourselves to solid truth? And can you imagine the influence that the enemy can be having on us, whether we know it or not, right? If we're not checking our sources, if we don't really pay attention to what we're consuming, there's so much potential for the enemy to just be feeding us with lies through our culture. In fact, there was an artist um, in the 80s. 
His name was Keith Green. He was a songwriter, a pianist, and a singer. And his music was so relevant then, and it, it even still is now. If, if you get a chance, check him out on like Spotify. But um, he has a song. It's called No One Believes in Me Anymore. And the tune is just grooving. But it's called No One Believes in Me Anymore. The point of the song is it's supposed to be Satan is boasting about how easy it is to influence people. And in one of the lines, he says, I used to have to sneak around. This is Satan speaking. I used to have to sneak around, but now they just open their doors. He says, no one's watching for my tricks because no one believes in me anymore. And think about how, how true that is even today, that if we're not paying attention to what we're consuming, and not just, not just here, but also just in media, through our peers, through news, you know, if we're not paying attention to what we're feeding ourselves, Satan could be flooding our minds and our, our kids' minds and these young people's minds with, with lies. So what are we feeding ourselves? Are we feeding ourselves solid truth or are we feeding ourselves lies from the culture? Are we consuming truth from God's word or are we consuming lies from the enemy? I wore braces for like 15 years. That's what it felt like anyway. I had them for like four, which I feel like that's longer than most, than most people, right? Most people have braces for like two, maybe three years. I got my braces on second semester of my sophomore year in high school, and I didn't get those things off until the summer before my sophomore year at CSU. So almost four years of wearing braces, and I had everything. I had the, the different colored brackets. I had to wear the rubber bands, and I even had this device at one point uh, that would like push my jaw forward. It was permanent and because I had a really bad overbite. And I'm like, man, I didn't think my teeth were this bad, but I had to have all this stuff, you know, in my mouth, and it was just crazy. So four years of wearing braces. I even tried to, like, negotiate with my orthodontist at one point to let me get them off early. Like, I was like, hey, man, can you just help me out? Like, there might be a little something-something in it for you. How about, how does uh, 22 bucks sound? i lay that on the table. Eventually, he told me that he, like, knows more about teeth than I do or something like that. But anyway, so I finally get my braces off after four years of wearing them. And he gives me my retainer. I don't, know, I don't know if you guys have seen the new retainers yet. They're not metal anymore. They're like clear and they're plastic and they just like click into place. It's like a mold of your teeth. You can't even tell that you're wearing a retainer. It's the best thing ever. So he gives me this retainer and he says, okay, you got to wear this thing every day and night for a month. And I said, okay, fair enough. And he said, after that, you only have to wear it at night. And I said, well, for how long? And he said, well, you know, for the rest of your life. I said, now wait a minute, four years of wearing braces, I have to wear this thing every night for the rest of my life? And he said, yeah. But honestly, I wasn't even that upset about it. Nothing could ruin my mood because I was just so happy to finally get my braces off. And I did. I wore my retainer for the rest of my life, which was about a month or two, right? <laughs> and then I, I just, you know, I did what every, every person who has a retainer did. I kind of broke the habit. I just stopped wearing it at night. Um, and I forgot about it. And then I, I probably went about three or four solid months of just not putting my retainer in at all. You know, I didn't even look at it. And then after those about four months, I finally picked it up off the, off the um, sink, and I was like, you know what? I remember him saying something about wearing this for the rest of my life. I should probably pop it in just to be safe. And so I took it out. I tried to put it in, and it didn't fit right anymore. And in fact, it hurt really bad once I kind of wiggled it into place. Like it hurt. It hurt almost as bad as when I first got my braces put on four years ago. I'm like, what's going on here? It's supposed to fit perfectly. And come to find out, 
what had happened was within that little four-month time frame of not wearing my retainer, my teeth had already started to shift back to where they were before I ever got my braces put on. Within four months, four years of wearing braces, and then I don't wear my retainer for four months, and they're already shifting back. I was like, this is crazy. But I was not about to get those braces put back on, so I wore that thing. I took ibuprofen PM that night, and I was good. But can you believe that? Four little months of not being disciplined enough to wear my retainer, and my teeth were already shifting back to the way they were. And unfortunately, this is what can happen to so many of us in our spiritual walk with Jesus, right? If we're not consistently devoted to God's word, holding us in place and and feeding ourselves with solid truth, it's so easy for us to just shift back to our old ways, for us to just believe Satan's lies and just be swayed by all these lies in our culture. It's so easy for us to shift back. And so it's not enough to just come on a Sunday morning. You know, I get enough of God on Sunday. I'm just going to live my life the rest of the week. That's not enough. We've got to be consistently devoted to God's Word. It's like wearing that retainer. It holds us in place, right? And so we have to be consistently sitting at the feet of our Savior, devoting ourselves to truth. So I would, I would encourage us to ask ourselves, you know, are we doing that? Are we spending time every day to read God's Word and devote ourselves to this teaching? So these are the questions that we really have to wrestle with, is do we know what we believe And do we realize the gravity of that belief? Do we realize how important it is that we really understand what the gospel is, right? That God created this world to be perfect, but then the sin of Adam and Eve corrupted that world, and that now this is not the way it was supposed to be, right? This is not God's perfect design, and that we're living in sin until Jesus stepped into the picture and said, I'm going to pay that price for you. Right? I'm going to take that debt off your hands. All you have to do is decide to follow me, and it's free, right? And so we're trying to get back to God's design, and the, and the good news is that if we decide to repent you know, and, and follow Jesus and believe in God's truth, that one day we will get back to God's design, and one day all things will be restored to the way they were, and that's the good news of the gospel. And so do we realize the importance of this, right? Do we realize how important it is to saturate our community with God's truth even though the culture is just full of Satan's lies. See, that was Jesus' command in Matthew 28. That was where this whole book picks up, the whole book of Acts, is that go into all nations and make disciples, right? Spread the gospel. Start discipling people. And so if, if that's you today, you know, if, if you're thinking maybe... Maybe I need to start devoting myself to God's truth more. We've actually opened back up our resource table um, over there. And so we've got some books that'll kind of tell you some, some ways in which you can start reading the Bibles, in which you can start consuming truth. We've got books on saturating the community, on what it means to make disciples, on what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We've got books on money management. I think there's even a book over there called What Your Phone Is Doing To You. Do we still have that one? I haven't read it yet, but it's probably pretty good. Um, so yeah, we've got the resource table. Um, we've got Bibles back there if you don't have one. And so I would just really encourage us as a church to ask ourselves, do we know what we believe? Do we know how important this is? And are we going to step up to the plate and say, I'm not going to stand for a culture that's walking away from Jesus? And are we going to be that change? Will you pray with me? 
God, we love you and we thank you that we get to do this every week. We thank you for the apostles in Acts and how they set the stage for your command, your great commission. And we just pray that we would be empowered by truth and that we would know that your, your word is the only source of truth that's gonna give us life. I pray that we would not be ashamed to preach the gospel to our community, to Goose Creek and to the ends of the earth. God, I just pray that we would be consistently feeding ourselves solid truth from your word and that we wouldn't grow weary of doing good. Lord, I thank you for this, this church. I thank you that we get to worship you today. Today is yours, Jesus. And it's all this I pray in your most precious name.